Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to be going today. But I just want to recap last week. I'm just picking up still on the Dream Big series that we started last week in part one. And in that series, we were looking at Nehemiah and the fact that Nehemiah comes with this visionary plan to uh, rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And we read about his uh, desire to do this. He says that he, he comes in, King Artaxerxes uh, li- releases him to go and build this wall again. So he goes and the first thing he does is he checks out the land, sees what, you know, checks out the territory, keeps his plans to himself at first and then he shares the vision, shares the plan with the team for them to think about rebuilding this wall. And uh, we looked last week at, the title of last week's message was Confusion Delusion. We looked at the fact that when there are visionary plans, when there are things that are exciting, what uh, God wants to do, the enemy is always there at the door waiting to try and confuse us and stop us. You know, it's interesting that when Rob brought the word this morning, he talks about, he, he mentioned about people feeling tired and exhausted and, and, and we get to this position where we feel we can't, can't go on. And last week we looked at the intimidation and confusion that can come. And these things are quite subtle, but they're actually sometimes more powerful in our lives than someone coming with a weapon. Because they're so subtle that they get into our lives that we feel like we can't do what God wants us to do in the vision. And the whole purpose of this series really is to lead us to next week and to focus on uh, what it is for this church, what it is for you to be part of that vision. Four things we quickly looked at last week were that to kind of get over this confusion and the the attacks of the enemy is the first thing we need to do is pursue collaboration. We need to be a body that's together. We need to be in a church. We can't be rogue people just saying, I'm just going to visit every now and again. That's all good for you. But as a church, it doesn't help us as a body. We need to be together. I kept saying that last week. People remember the advert, we need to be together. It's true. It's key and it's biblical that the church needs to come together to strengthen itself. The second thing we look to is to presume opposition. You can't just expect that there's going to be no opposition. If we want to move forward, you have to move forward with the mindset that you're going to get opposed in everything you do. I said to the guys yesterday when I was stirring up the feathers of and saying, uh, you know, the devil is shaking in his boots when I was going in there yesterday trying to get a team of men who represented the East Anglia to start thinking about sharing their faith. I mean, we had messages back later on saying that they were on the way home on the train. Some of these guys were sharing their faith. Now, that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have stirred up their faith. You've got this is what and every time I do this, I'm waiting for the attacks of the enemy. So you've got to be ready. So you cannot think, if you're looking for a church where there's no opposition, then actually you want to question what the church is actually doing. Because I believe that in the book of Acts, amazing stories, amazing time, but you look at the opposition they got, you would not want to go to their churches, some of you. You wouldn't want to attend them. So get ready for the attacks. These are the things we've got to be ready for. But as a church and a body that is together, strengthen each other, we can be ready for them. Helping each other, praying into each other's things. And as we saw earlier, praying for things like when Lewis said, uh, I, I want to go and do this. We want to pray as a body so that we give him that support. 
the third thing we talked about is preparing for intimidation, fear that the enemy or people, sometimes even Christians, are going to intimidate us and they're going to make us feel like we can't do what we're supposed to be doing. And so there's a real attack sometimes on fear and intimidation that causes that confusion. And finally, we look to protecting our passion. It's important to protect our passion. We said that the, it says that the, the guys who were building the wall in Jerusalem, they built it, they get to this point, it says they got halfway. It says they, and it uses the term, it says they completed it halfway. They didn't just say we're halfway through, they completed it. They had a, a two stage plan. Visual, you know, phase one, phase two. Phase one will get it to this first stage. Well, some of us sometimes, and, and it says they eagerly worked on that with their hearts. And some of us, we're in our lives, we're reaching that kind of halfway stage. But God is saying, there's so much more for you to do. And I want you to go further. And we finished off last week looking at saying, listen, if you, if you expect all these things, don't give up halfway. If you want to dream big for what God is going to do in this church, then we've got to think bigger. We've got to expect that we're going to go further. That's actually going to come with more opposition. It's going to come with more attacks. It's going to come with lots of things attached to it. But actually, I really believe we're nowhere near the top of what God's going to do here. If you think this is it, then you've got another thing coming. It's not. There is far more what God wants to do. So we looked at that last week, protecting our passion, not getting tired and weary and saying, you know, this is it. And being complacent with what we have. Because I believe there's far more. So we're going to pick up today in Nehemiah 4, literally where we left uh, just last week on that last point of protecting our passion for rebuild, to keep continuing building. So Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 6. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But here we go into the next phase in verse 7. But when Sambalat, Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites... And the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed, say we prayed, we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Verse 10, meanwhile the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much more rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before you know it you know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near came and told us ten times over, wow they told them a lot of times, ten times over, wherever you turn they'll attack us. Verse 13, therefore, this is Nehemiah, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. 
The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. You know, we see here the dynamic, the, the things that are going on with them actually building this wall. So now we, we get to the point where we're seeing they got halfway, but then we start to read some of the dynamic of the building of this wall. What is happening at this building site? And um, as we know, Nehemiah has this amazing plan, this vision to see it fulfilled. How many of you know that we, you know, we can have these great plans to do what God wants to do, but building it is another thing. Doing it is actually a completely different thing. Uh, you know, when we showed the pictures of the, the outer court project, people loved seeing the visuals that were done on Photoshop that suggested this is what it could be like. Some people even said, is that the finished thing? I said, no, it's, this is Photoshop, but we've got to do this. We've got to achieve what we've got to do. And for this church to achieve some of the things, I'll set out visionary ideas and plans, but ultimately to actually do it is the hardest work. Visionary uh, setting out and casting is the easiest bit. You know, we can all say this is what we want to do, but doing it is the biggest thing. And I, I don't know who likes watching grand. I like watching things like grand designs and programs like this, where yeah, where you see uh, at the beginning of the program. I don't know about you. You watch the program. It comes on. There was one on the other week, and this this gentleman comes on, and he um, he wants to convert in in North Yorkshire. He wants to convert a train station into a house. And this has got the hole where the rail tracks come in. Everything's there. And we, we watch this. And I don't know about you, but every time I watch the program, there's, these are the best bits of the program. The beginning and the end. I can't be bothered with the middle bit. When all the builders are coming in, there's plaster everywhere. I just, I'm not interested in that bit. I love it when they're going around and then the drawings come up and there's these things saying, this is going to be the kitchen. And you're thinking, wow. And you're thinking, poor guy. What on earth are you doing? Setting this task on. And, and, and he was wandering around this train station. I'm thinking, this is such a huge project. How on earth are you going to do it? And uh, it was amazing. So you'd watch these plans, the drawings come up. And then, you know, this is when I go and get my coffee. I just go and grab a coffee while, while they're going and doing the rest of it. And then you're thinking, how many years later? I can't wait till they move up to, to really close till, you know, he's getting the double glazing in. And it's like all the nice, the little final bits, not the, not the plaster. And you watch this and, and then it gets right to the end. And you can't wait till it changes and it, it comes on. And the guy just arrives back and he revisits the project. And he arrives there and everyone's in their nice clothes now. And they go in to look at what's, you know, what's happened. 
And they walked into this train station. I thought it was a really funny comment because the children of this guy, this guy had done it single-handedly, by the way. He'd done it all on his own. This whole train station he'd done for the whole, not just the program length, for the hour, but it took years. And his children seemed to just rock up right at the end when he was in the nice kitchen and the lounge. And they're saying, it's amazing what dad's done. But the first thing he said is, it's amazing what we've done. I thought, you haven't done anything. Where were you at the beginning of the program? Where were you when I was making my coffee? You were never around. He said, it's amazing what we've done. And he corrected himself. He said, actually, what dad's done. And, and then they, they, they walk around and you see these amazing things of what one man can do or sometimes a group of people. But in, that program was an hour in length. But listen, there is so much toil and labor goes into producing what you see. They know that you wouldn't even want to watch the program. Would you really want to watch a year's program? You know, every single week watching every single stage. You know, this week we're going to look at the guy who's going to fit the first cupboard in the kitchen. You're not interested. You want to see the beginning and the end. But the work involved in the in-between is the key thing. And I want to say to you that it's okay me getting up here saying these are the visions and the plans and this is what we want to see as a church. This is the kind of attacks that are going to come. But today I want to talk about the actual part of the process of the building. What is it going to mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us? Intimidation and confusion is one thing, but there's other things as well. There's factors in the actual building process. The intimidation and confusion sometimes comes right at the beginning when the enemy wants to stop you from progressing, going any further and getting the building materials out. So he wants us to think about, God wants us to think about what's involved in this to expect. In Luke chapter 14, verse 28, you don't have to turn there, it should come up on the screen, but in Luke chapter 14, verse 28 to 33, Jesus talks about the cost of being a disciple. He says this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Verse 29, for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, Jesus said, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is telling them, he's saying, this is the cost. Have you addressed the cost of of, of, of doing this. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a massive cost on your lives if you want to see God do something absolutely amazing in our city. It's not going to come easy. He's looking for dedication. He's looking for people who want to give themselves solely to the kingdom work. If you're not, then you need to address it. He says, he, he uses these two examples. He's saying, look at this, look at the examples here. That you need to address. Can you fulfill the cost? Have you got it in your bank account. Your spiritual bank account. To really do this. And I want to say that to you today. Because if not. You might be looking at me saying. Come on tell me the vision. Tell me what you're going to do. What are we going to do? And listen. It's actually you who will do it. Not many people will tell you that. But it's actually the church that does it. It's not me. It's me who leads this vision. And I said to someone yesterday, I hope you agree with this, but I said yesterday, I said, one thing I do is 
I never like to teach stuff that I'm not prepared to do myself. So when I was out there yesterday, I said, some people said to me, they've said, why should a pastor be evangelizing? Well, I'll tell you why, because the Bible says we should do the work of evangelists. And you, there's a problem if people can't tell people about their faith. You haven't got me to answer to, it's the Lord who you'd answer to. Why you can't share. He says, those who are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them before my father. Simple. The word of God says that. But the key is this. That I believe that I everything we, te- we teach, we should be prepared to do ourselves. So it's not that I'm not willing to do anything. I want to be part of this. But it, it requires the body to be involved. What's required in seeing this vision through? Part two today of this Dream Big session is called Double for Your Trouble. Double for your trouble. The first thing that's going to be required of us that we see in this story is that we need to be active in prayer. We need to be active in prayer. Nehemiah said this in verse in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But verse 9, but we prayed to our God. And it says, also posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Listen, Nehemiah had great vision. He had great plans, great perspective. But he also knew he needed to pray. He also knew that prayer was essential an essential ingredient as well as great visions and plans. And many of us today have got our own personal prayer lives. We've got our own personal prayer that we, you know, we love going into that quiet place with the Lord and we love to. Some of us maybe are struggling with that at the moment. Well, I want to encourage you. It is a struggle, but you need to learn how to do that. I would encourage you to learn how to get into the secret place and spend time with the Lord. Some would say, how much time should I spend? Well, that's another sermon in itself. There's no set time, but the key is that you should not even be analyzing the time. You should be wanting to be in his presence. But listen to me, there is a place for that, but there is also a place as a church for corporate prayer. For people to come together to grab hold of this vision and say, yeah, we're excited about the future, we're excited about what God's going to do, but also we need to be putting prayer as a, as a primary ingredient. In fact, it should be first, it's the first thing he says. He didn't say, we put a guard on, then we prayed. He says, but then we prayed and we put the guard on. We prayed. Arthur Wallace, a writer, said this, an author. He said, a man is no bigger than his prayer life. A man or a woman is no bigger than their prayer life. I think that's very apt. I think it's very key. But I'd say this, I'd go one extra. A church is no bigger than its prayer life. A church is no bigger than its prayer life. And I think it's so important that moving forward, before I even talk about anything else, that we have a culture in this house, that the same people that come and sing his praises and worship on a Sunday morning, who get excited about the miracles, get excited about what God's doing, are the people who are actually praying. Because I'm telling you, the thing, the key to the success, the advance of his kingdom in our towns and cities is due to prayer. You think, well, no, we can just carry No, it's down to prayer. I always say that prayer is the engine room. Many years we used to pray in this church, praying for revival, praying for God to do things. Then we, got, we understood that actually we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. We need to go and do it as well. 
So we put into action our words. But that doesn't mean when we do that that we forget prayer. We have to see these things as essential. And corporate prayer together is the engine room for what God wants to do. Amen. Many of you have heard of, people love to read these books, but the, about the Azusa Street Revival, early 1900s, you see, uh, you read lots of books about old revivals, the Welsh Revival, and I love to read these books. We were talking, yes, about Smith Wigglesworth. The guys were saying, we need to have, the, you know, the kind of same things the guys were saying as Smith Wigglesworth. I said, well, you can, we just need to, you've got to go and do it. You know, forget Smith. Smith's dead. Smith is dead. Great books, fantastic stories, but he's dead. What about you? You can be a Smith Wigglesworth if you want to be. There's nothing special about Smith other than he took hold of the word and did it. That's that's the difference between you and Smith Wigglesworth. He just did the work. And me. I want to do more great things. So I've got to do, you know, put put it into action. But the Azusa Street Revival in the early 1900s, there was a guy uh, by the name of Frank Bartleman, who was called. Frank Bartleman, who was over in Azusa. And he'd heard about the Welsh Revival happening here. And uh, he wanted to write a letter to Evan Roberts who was a key figure in the Welsh Revival in the early 1900s. So he writes a letter to ask Evan, to ask him, what is it we need to do to see the same things that's happening in the Welsh Revival effectively? We want that here. He he heard the stories, you know, it wasn't on Twitter then, there was no Facebook, no emails, he probably wrote this, this, this letter, sent it across, and he wants to find out what is it that you've got, we want that here. Many people want that. Listen to me, by the way, I don't believe in that the Spirit of God is just going to fall in certain places and we've got to start traveling on planes to get to where the presence of God is. Now, there are moves of God and sometimes we see this on TV, but I want, I want you to, to, to be encouraged today. If you want to see a move of God, don't spend it on a plane ticket, spend it in prayer. Don't spend it going to the other side of the world trying to pursue other things in other places when you are not pursuing it in this house. Because the key is prayer. This is what he said. He he sends this request and says, you know, we want to see this move of God. We want the same as what you've got. Tell us what we need to do. And he probably was waiting for this thing like, you know, you've got to sing certain songs. You've got to do this. You know, it's just wait on the Lord. But he said this. He said, congregate the people. These are his words. Congregate the people who are willing to make a total surrender. Pray and wait. Believe God's promises. Hold daily meetings. May God bless you is my earnest prayer. I'm going to read that again to you. He said, congregate the people who are willing to make a total surrender. Pray and wait. Believe God's promises. Hold daily meetings. May God bless you is my earnest prayer. Do you know what? We need to get together and we need to pray. We've got to pray as a church. And I'm telling you, I've seen it. I'm not telling anyone off here, but I don't believe that we, I don't, I've never seen it since I've been young that people have the hunger for prayer as they do coming on Sundays. It just never is the case. When I was young, I used to see it. But listen, I believe that the reason why people see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they see God move is because they're hungry to pray. They're hungry for total surrender, giving up everything they are to pursue. I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you willing to give total surrender? You ask yourself that question because this is the key. 
This is the key to seeing God move by his spirit. We love to sing the songs. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Well, is he? Is your prayer life that, that way? Is your prayer seeking and total surrender believing for him? Do you know, I've got a lot to learn. But I want to see us as a church get down to prayer. Colossians 4 verse 2, Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. It's one of the things we did this morning. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. But he says also, be watchful. In other words, track your prayers. So pray, track them, see what's happening, which we've done today. It's good to get the guys up and say, you know, we got into the school. We prayed about it. This is what happened as a church. Now look at the success and be thankful. Thank God for it as well. There's three things there. Pray for it, watch for it and track the, track the prayer and then thank him for it when you see it's, it happens. Some of us, we don't bother with any of them. We don't pray. So we don't even, we've got nothing to track. Or if we do pray, we don't bother tracking and we never find out and we never thank God. I want to encourage you to do these things. Because prayer is so, so powerful. Even our dear Lord Jesus prayed himself. He found the time out of these businesses of his life to go and pray. Spend time with the Father. Amen. You know, on week, what I want to do is, I said last Tuesday, if you were here, we said we, we worshipped and prayed together. And we spent a short time praying. But I want to, I'm going to declare this on the week commencing, the 8th of February. So on the 7th is next week, on the Vision Sunday. On the day after, on the Monday, I want to declare a week of, of, of us, for us to pray in our homes, but fasting for a whole week. Those who want to join that, you can. You can fast for however long you want. That's up to you. But I want to declare that we kick off at the end of the vision uh, Sunday. The first Monday, we have a week of prayer and fasting. And what we're going to do on the Tuesday night, on the, which will be the 9th, I think, we're going to come together. There's going to be no worship at, at the beginning. We're not going to do that. We're just going to come, pray in the cafe, and we're going to just pray together as a church and just pray. There'll be quiet times, there'll be louder times, but we've got to learn what it is to intercess together as a body. And I want to encourage you, come along, be part of that. If you want to give yourself to total surrender, you watch, because we'll track what happens. You watch that God will do great and mighty things. You watch it. You don't need me to tell you that. He, He says his word. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. Number two today, be available to serve. Be available to serve. Nehemiah 4 verse 10, it says this. The people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to this work. Do you see right at the beginning here, it says, this is a key thing I want to just mention this morning. There is intimidation, there's confusion from the enemy. There's another key problem here and it's tiredness tiredness who gets shattered come on be honest I feel tired a lot of the time I feel extremely tired when you're doing kingdom work it is tiring but it's tiring and these guys here it says that their strength was giving out you know there's a there's a battle of the enemy there's the confusion there's the attacks of the enemy but there's your own tiredness the flesh that is trying to do the things of the Lord, seeking his kingdom first. But you're shattered as well. And sometimes you're thinking, well, am I supposed to feel like this? I'm doing the things for the Lord and I'm tired. And these guys, you can imagine them starting to build. They're tired and they're, they're failing. And they're saying, you know, Nehemiah, what, you know, this plan, it sounds great, but we're shattered. 
Couldn't we have just left it at the halfway line? This is so tiring now. We've, the first bit was the easiest bit, but now we're so tired. Do we really have to go that little bit further? And some of us sometimes, we just want to settle because of tiredness, not the confusion or the attacks of the enemy, because we're absolutely shattered. And this is what was happening here. Imagine what Nehemiah felt. You know, I mean, even Moses gets this when he's in the, in the desert. He's getting people grumbling. So, you know, what's happening? And Nehemiah's getting these complaints. We're shattered. What does Nehemiah do? How does he respond to this? How can he respond to this? He says that he reconstructed, he looked at his, the way he set people on the wall and he began to reconfigure the way that people worked. So there was a leadership intervention of how he was going to make and allow people to work. In Luke 10 verse 2, Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We love to say that saying, don't we? I mean, we love to say the harvest, every time there's a problem, you know, we, you know, we're struggling, the, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. We need more workers. We need workers. We do need workers. But listen to me, I believe that churches can sometimes get into this uh, few laborers mentality. Where we start kind of saying that, you know, it's always going to be like this, that we haven't got enough workers to serve. You know, we, we just got to go with what we've got. I don't know if you know this, most of the time I've seen it through all my life in church, growing up with my parents, most of the time it's the same old people doing the same old things. Same people doing the same old things. Looking shattered at the same time. You don't have to, you, you're going to chat to my parents, they've been 50 years in the same church, they'll tell you some stories. They'll tell you story after story of the same things. It's repeated. And I want to say to you that what he does is he reconfigures, looks at the problem and says, this work needs to be spread out. We need to get out of this few laborers mentality and accept it thinking, well, the faithful few will do it. The faithful few can't do it because they will die and fail. But we need to be strong in ourselves saying, I want to put my hand up and I want to say yes. Because if we share the Lord, we can advance more. If we share the responsibility, we can advance more. You know, it's been an amazing thing to have Joe come on board with us in a practical sense. I'll tell you, sharing the Lord of what we're doing. On behind the scenes, you know, I've been piling things onto Joe that I've been carrying. But in that sense, I've understood what it is. And it's been great. And Joe's loving it. But it's been great to be able to pile some responsibility to share the load because I felt like I was getting tired and weary. I want to say to you today, let's get rid of this few labors mentality. Let's be a church that is willing to say, I'm going to put my hand up. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to say yes. I'm going to do it because I want to share the load and help everyone. So then we can get to a position where we're saying we can advance even more. The more we do, it will attract more people to the same vision. You see this, when Jesus Jesus didn't say, he asked, he said, ask me to send laborers. He didn't say, ask the Lord to, for more people. He said, ask that I will send. In other words, I believe real servants are sent by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus says that, he's basically saying, if you ask me, I will send people to you that are willing to do it. Not more people in the church that are not willing to do it. 
He wants us to, I really believe that God wants us to pray that prayer. God, send people in their hearts, people maybe who are already here, to want to do it because they're spurred along by the Holy Spirit. That's what it needs. Servants that are spurred along and have a desire. Despite their tiredness though, they didn't give up. They did not give up. He spreads this, spreads the load. He tries to do some things. It's not going to be easy. And he tries to do these things, but he spreads the load. But he says that, you know, they're carrying on going. And I want to encourage you today, when things are getting tiring, please don't give up. Don't give up on the vision. Don't give up on the church. Keep going. I've been, there's been times when I felt like giving up myself. Let me tell you. Many times. I'm tired and weary. And I think, Lord, and then the Lord just comes and speaks to me through someone and says, you know, keep going. And I think this is for the Lord. It's for the Lord. So I want to encourage you today. I'm on the same boat, but I keep trying to run the race with the prize. And I want to encourage you to do the same. You see, sometimes we can be tired, but we can be tired for the right reasons. I've been very tired sometimes, but I've been very happy at the same time as well. You see, there's nothing wrong with being tired for doing the work of the Lord. Jesus tired too, and I'm sure, sure did his disciples. You know, many times they were journeying through and he feeds the people because they're looking tired and weary. They've been following him everywhere. There is something in the ministerial work that you're going to have to be prepared to be tired. If you want to do things, it's required of us. You know, recently I was on Twitter. Has anyone gone on Twitter much? If you're on Twitter, you, you see lots of people hashtagging. And there was a, a gentleman on Twitter, a minister, who I knew. He, he kept putting what's called hashtags at the end of his, his Twitter posts. And these hashtags were, they'd say, uh, happy, ti- happy tired, hashtag happy tired, hashtag empty full. I thought, what on earth does that mean? How can you be happy tired, empty full? And he'd put these comments, I've done this today, I'm hashtag happy, tired, hashtag empty full. And then recently I found myself in a meeting with this same gentleman who did these tweets. And he preached a little message, he spoke an encouraging message on certain things, and he, on leadership. And one of the things he said, he started to raise the point about the, the fact that he puts these Twitter feeds on. I thought, oh, here we go, I'll find out what this means. So he tells us what he means by this. And I, I think this will resonate with many of you today. That he basically said this, he said, every time I do something for the Lord and I've been out and I've done some amazing things and I've seen God do great things, I get back at the end of the day and I write this post and I put happy tired because I'm tired but I'm happy in God. I'm happy at the achievement of what God is doing and I'm empty inside but yet I'm full by his spirit. I thought, wow, that's true. Sometimes I feel like that. Actually, we've got to be tired sometimes but there's some, there's some reward in being shattered. <laughs> Finally, I found someone. I might start putting this as well. The problem is, he said, sometimes, you know, the last thing I ever want to put on my Twitter feeds is hashtag empty, empty. Hashtag tired, tired. In other words, there is nothing in me. I am empty. I've given everything in myself and I'm shattered. Let me ask you today, if you're going to be tired for things, be tired for the right things. There's some people, some individuals maybe today, who are saying, do you know what, I am tired, but actually if you look at your lives, you're tired for the wrong stuff. You are empty, empty, and you are tired, tired. Let me encourage you today to be happy, tired, and empty full. You'll see my tweets saying this now. 
But I want to encourage you to think that way. Look at your lives and start to, some people need to analyze and examine their lives and say, what is it that I'm doing that is exhausting me so I can't give myself to God and be in total surrender? Because listen, seek first the kingdom. Matthew 6, we've got to seek his kingdom first. That's not putting the church before. Seek his kingdom first. Look to him first. And I really believe he will renew your strength. Give you the strength to keep, keep going on. You know, in 1995, you won't believe this, in 95, Emma doesn't like me to keep telling these stories. But in 95, I set out on a journey with a couple of guys. You may know Nath Morris and a few guys, uh, my friends at the time. We set out on a task to ride from uh, Edinburgh Castle on a bike to where I lived near Rotherham which was a little castle called Conisbury Castle. It was 300 miles to doing three days. So it was 100 miles a day. I'd only ever trained with the guys on the bike for 100 miles max or whatever a day. This time we were going to go and do the ride. We were going to raise money for a gentleman for multiple sclerosis. That was the plan. We did it all off our own back. We had the guys who were going to follow us down in vans to uh, literally follow us the whole 300 miles. We had hotels all the way down. It was all planned. In 95, we were going to go and do this ride. I'll never forget putting my bike into the back of this van, getting in with the guys. We set off from where I lived and drove 300 miles up to Scotland. I'd never been to Edinburgh before, so this is the first time. We're going to drive into Edinburgh. This is the plan. We arrive after a 300-mile drive. We get in the hotel. The next morning we set off and we're going to ride the whole way back in three days, non-stop. Only the stops were the, the night in the hotel. So we get up there, we drove 300 miles. Honestly, if I'm telling you the truth, we were riding up there. I'd never seen half of Scotland before, looking around thinking, I cannot believe I have agreed to this. That we have got to ride back. There was going to be a party waiting for us at the end. The police were going to even escort us into the castle at the other end. I thought, this is ho- there's no way out of this. I've got to do it. Has anyone ever felt like that? You've, you've signed yourself up for something. You think, I've got to do this now. And you think, there's no, there's no getting out of this. And so we, we get there, and I'm, I'm looking all the way, these long straight roads. Then we get to the hills in Scotland, and I'm thinking, I cannot believe I've got to do this. I wonder if there's a way out. We set off the next morning from Edinburgh Castle, very early in the morning, set off to do the first 100 miles. So we set off, Nathan Morris, you may know him, the guy, the evangelist, he's riding in front of me and we're going down this hill. We'd only reached, I got a little speedometer of, uh, on, my, on my bike, we'd only done one mile. One mile of 300. Listen to this. You talk about discouragement and confusion. I was riding down a dual carriageway out of Edinburgh's town centre. We're all raring to go. The Lycra's on. I know. Get it out of your minds. We've got the Lycra on. We're really thinking we can do this. And I'm trying to forget about what I've seen in the car on the way up. I'm just thinking, let's just get back home. And we set off riding within a mile and a half out of the town centre of Edinburgh. Nathan's riding and comes up behind a bus. The bus pulls out. And as the bus pulls out, he goes straight into the back of a car. Flies off his bike lands on top of a car, literally. And I looked, I braked, looked, his bike bent in half. And he was laid flat on the top of a little mini metro. Remember the metros? He was laid on top of a metro. We'd only done a mile and a half. We'd not left the town. We all pulled up, the van pulls up. Now we've got one injured person, he, was, he could barely breathe. We pulled him off the top of the car. He looked at his bike, he started, don't tell him I told you this, but he started to cry when he saw the bike. He said, I can't believe it, I can't do the trip. I said, forget the trip, what about your breathing? 
he could barely breathe. And he was looking at the bike. Anyway, the, 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 long, the, the short story of it was that eventually the, we managed to get someone supplied us with another bike through, through a, a shop. And we got him on a bike within a few hours. We were straight back on the road again. So we set off again. It was amazing. A man did a phone call from a bike shop. says, go to the local shop. I've paid for a bike for you. So we were straight on the bike. So we carried on going. So within a few hours, we're back on the ride. But I'll never forget, I'm just going to tell you this, I'll never forget the first night in the hotel. I'd done 100 miles. Get up the next morning. And honestly, the guys, we'd done, this is Scotland, remember, so we've done some of the hardest bits now. 100 miles through these hills. The next morning, some of the team came in and knocked on the door and says, it's time to get up. And I was under the covers. And my bottom was in so much pain I thought, I cannot do this. I literally, this is absolutely crazy. We've only ever done 100 miles. That's it. And then I used to just sit and watch TV. I have never got up and done this again. To do it again was just impossible for me. And she said, come on. But listen, this is what I want to tell you. The guy said, come on, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. And they all started encouraging each other. The four of us was encouraging each other. We've got to do it. We can't give up. What about the guy with multiple sclerosis? We've got to do this. So I got out of bed, we went and had breakfast, I could barely walk. We went into this little bar, we have breakfast, and I'm saying, guys, this is just crazy. I remember sitting onto the saddle, and boy, oh boy, I knew about it. And then we set off on this ride. I thought, I can't 100 miles, this is just, I've got to get my mind focused. So we start again, and we head off again for another 100 miles. That day, the second day, they ended up taking us the wrong way, we did 120. So we did, we did actually more than we should have done. We did 10 miles out of our way, and then they told us, you've gone the wrong way, we had to come back. So we did 120 the second day. But listen to me, we did the third day easy. Because what I understood is that actually team encouraged me to get back on the saddle even though I was in pain. And then the third day, I remembered what I did the first day. I thought, I can do it despite the pain. It's possible because when you get going, you cannot believe what you can achieve. And I want to tell you today, some of us are like that. We're on day one. We're thinking, I can't believe I signed up for this. I can't believe I'm even part of this. And you're shattered. Your bottom may not be hurting, but you're tired. And I want to encourage you today. That there is, there is a way to do this. Even when you're tired. God wants to do something miraculous through us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says this. Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Number three, moving on. We need to be adaptive to the vision. There's the one thing is serving, but we've got to be adaptive to the vision. Nehemiah 4.16, it says this, Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. Serving the church is one thing. He's saying, yes, I will do, I will do this. I'm going to be, I want to come to the worship auditions this afternoon and be part of the worship. I'm going to do it. I've decided. That's one thing, isn't it? Putting your hand up and saying, that's it. Go on then. I'll have a go. But then there is another side to this. And I believe it's something that people cannot sometimes do very well. And that is being adaptive to the vision. That means, in other words, when we look at Nehemiah, we see that these people were able to build and also be warriors as well. 
So they knew what it was to some of them were pro- probably not trained warriors, but yet they still had their, their, their sword, their weapon attached to them while they built. Some of them had the weapon in one hand while they built with the other. I mean, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? Trying to fend off the enemy. And listen, there are people today sometimes in this room, maybe now you're saying, do you know what? I do want to be, I do want to serve. And I've got this ministry that I can bring. I can do this. I can, you know, I want to bring my prophetic ministry. I want to bring, I want to bring this type of ministry. I believe I've got this. Listen, that's all good and well. But if you cannot be prepared to be adaptive to the vision, it's useless. Because you've got to be prepared, first of all, to do the things that sometimes you might not want to do. But sometimes people want to do what they want to do only. They're not prepared to do anything else other. They'd have said, no, I'm a warrior only. I'm the only person who can carry the sword. I'm not doing any building. I cannot do that. But these guys, they were prepared to multitask. Do other things. Listen to me today. Be encouraged in this. Don't be put down by it. When you are willing to do anything and be adaptive to the vision, that means seeing the vision saying, as a church, we've all got to chip in. If you're willing to do anything, whatever it takes, I believe God will reward you. I think it's Matthew chapter 10, in verse, um, in, in verse 35 to 45, the sons of Zebedee, they come and they say to Jesus, they're saying, we, we want you to do something for us. <laughs> That's a prayer, isn't it? We want you to do something. We want you to do whatever we ask. And that is, we want a great place, a seat in heaven. We want a best seat. And he teaches them. He says, no, you know, what you need to learn is this. It doesn't work that way. You've got to serve. Because the Son of Man, in verse 45, says he, he came as a ransom for many to serve. He showed that principle of serving to get your place. Jesus showed it. And some of us today, we're not happy to be builders and warriors. We're not happy to do. We said, I'm only going to serve if I can do my thing. Well, no, that's, that's not the attitude. The attitude is that we need to be adaptive to the overall vision. If you can do that, God will reward you in his time and he will position you. You know, some of us, if we want to preach at the pulpit and be up here preaching, then you've got to learn to encourage in the cafe first. Some of us who want to preach up here, you've got to learn what it is to clean the toilets. Some people think that I just come here and preach every week. Sometimes I've got my head stuck in the fuse box fixing lights. Sometimes I've got the hoover out downstairs picking crumbs up. You know, preaching's great, but you know, there's other things to do as well. There's so much goes on behind the scenes. And I want to encourage you. We've got to be adaptive to the vision, meaning doing anything that's required. If you see a piece of paper on the floor, pick it up. Don't wait for the cleaners to come and pick it up after it's finished at the stewards. You know, I want to I take this opportunity to commend all of the stewards today that are doing work. Every week when we're praying and ministering to people, there are guys here hoovering around and cleaning up the toilets. If they didn't do that, you would get a smelly toilet every week. And you wouldn't like that, would you? You probably wouldn't come back. And some of us are not probably missing that these things are going on, but I'll tell you, I watch. If you don't hear me say thank you to you all the time, we really do appreciate you, but I want to say I watch and observe and I see that people are being adaptive to the vision. They're doing it. And to me, it's just as important that them toilets are clean as what it is for a message to be preached up here. 
It's just as important. There's no difference whatsoever. If you think there is, readdress that. Nobody's the star in here. Nobody is the star. To grow, we've got to do it all together. Believing that our gifts and abilities are all advancing his kingdom. Amen. I want you to just turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8, just to see something in the previous chapter that will encourage you to understand this kind of perspective. And it says this in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. I'm going to try and get some of these names right. But it says, Uziel, son of ha Haya. Got past that one. One of the goldsmiths. Now you'd like to know him, wouldn't you? One of the goldsmiths repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, you ladies are the one who been near her, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, Rephaiah, son of her, ruler, ruler, of half district of Jerusalem repaired the next section. In other words, we have got here, just in that bit of text, three individuals, one who's a goldsmith, one who makes perfume for a living, and one who is the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, are all building the wall. Did you see that? In other words, they'd have probably been there thinking, I wish I were in my nice little studio making gold jewellery. In my nice little warm studio in Jerusalem, making nice gold jewellery, instead of building this wall, holding a weapon in my hand, watching these people trying to attack us, my duty is to make gold. I'm a goldsmith. I'm not a person for building. And then the person who wears perfume, you know, I stink. He says that they, they, they were wearing the same clothes. The only time they changed them was to go and get water or whatever that means. Does it mean whatever that means, but they, they were in the same clothes, it said. In other words, they smelt a little bit. You imagine the perfume makers were thinking, I know what it is to have all my nice perfume on, but yet I'm stinking. But yet they did it. And then finally you've got somebody who thinks in, he could have took his pride, could have affected him, and he, he could have thought, I'm the ruler of half the district. I should not be here building walls. This is not my duty. And I want to say today that it is our duty. It is our duty to be adaptive to the vision. All doing the things together. Let me show you something. Just as just a, in a second, there's a little proof of something that in the many years that, you know, you might see us here today and we're leading the church. We're talking about vision. We're saying, come on, guys. And I'm like trying to be the Nehemiah. Come on, we can do this. For many years, I've been in this church. I arrived here in 2002. You know, it's not always been very, very easy. And there's sometimes we haven't had everyone to do the task. And the faithful few have sometimes done certain things. Well, I want to show you that many years ago, in 2008, we had a carol service here. A carol service. And we didn't have a Mary and Joseph available at the time. Guess who did it? It's not that long ago. There's still the same drum kit. Be adaptive to the vision. You know, don't ever ask, don't ever say to me, well, you're not prepared to do it. Someone came to me and said, will you do this? Will you do the play? There's a lot more people in this picture you'd love to see. Be adaptive to the vision. If they didn't have it, then I said, well, let's do it. We got involved. 
And sometimes I used to be downstairs, I've told you before, doing kids' work. That wasn't my thing. But it was, you know, I didn't think that was my thing, but I did it still for the Lord. I want to encourage you today, be adaptive to the vision. Jesus set that example, as I mentioned earlier. And in John chapter 13, verse 12 to 14, it says this. Jesus, when finish, finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. In other words, if Jesus can get into position where he's washing feet, he's showing that it's all about servanthood. It's all about, you call me a teacher, you call me this person, you're right, I am a teacher. I am, I am the person I say I am, I am the son of God, but actually I'm going to wash your feet. Because I'm going to show you a principle before I die on the cross that you've got to do the same. Stop thinking so big of yourselves and serve others. Now, we're not going to start some feet washing program here. You know, we've got enough on with a latte machine. You know, and, and, and Emma's phobia of feet wouldn't go down too well with feet washing programs. But, you know, some people might like that kind of thing. But listen, we're not doing any feet washing thing, but there's things that you can do. To serve that is like washing feet. There's things that you can do today that is basically going above and beyond. And it's doing things even though you've got some special giftings. Listen to me. I believe if you position yourself in the right place, willing to serve in adapted to the vision, God will give you a place in this church to do great and mighty things. And your giftings will not be left aside. But those who come saying, I've got this. Look at me. I'm not willing. will never get anywhere. Finally, number four, be accountable to leadership. The future of moving forward requires accountability to the leadership of the church. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 19, it says this. Nehemiah said to the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. This is after he'd done this little new reconfiguration plan to try and spread the load out. So now he's getting everyone spreading. There's more laborers working. The whole thing's been spread out. So he's got this working. But all of a sudden it says this, verse 20. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, that's the guy who's with him with the trumpet. He says, whenever you hear that sound, join us here. Our God will fight for us. So they were spread out along this wall working. But then notice in verse 20, it says, when you hear the trumpet sound, put your tools down and join us wherever you hear the trumpet. He says the trumpet guy was with him. In other words, there was an accountability set in place that said, I know you're all going to work and we're all going to work hard spread out. Sometimes we're not going to be close to each other and you're going to be doing something and we can't talk. We can't always communicate. We can't always be with everyone. And that's why it needs more and more people to encourage each other, not just me doing it because I can't be with everyone on the wall at the same time. But he says, when you hear the trumpet sound, when there's a little bit of trouble and we need to join together, you need to understand that the trumpet means that you've got to listen to what I'm saying come together in other words there was accountability they weren't all just doing their own thing designing the wall how they wanted they knew what it was to come back to Nehemiah and come back when the trumpet sounded now this is not something I'm saying today for me to say that I am uh, trying to be dictator uh, a dictator in saying what everyone should do but I really believe in accountability and I believe that we should understand that if we are members of this church coming under the vision that we are accountable to leaders 
If you're saying I'm not, well, there's a problem. Because accountability to leadership is something that is biblical. Someone once said this, accountability is an essential part to a functional society. Accountability is an essential part to a functional society. It's not something, you, you tell me, when I ever want to be telling someone, you've got to do this. I always want people to, uh, for me to tell people because I'm willing to do the same thing. But I think leadership works both ways. It's not from the top down. It's through. It's like a circle. We all work together. So that when I spot something and I think that there's something we need to readjust, then please listen. Let's pray together. Let's come together and understand it. But we need to understand that moving forward, we're not just some all doing our own thing. There needs to be accountability. That also goes for leaders, not just me as a leader, but other leaders that are set in place here. There's other leaders and there's team leaders who are involved in areas in this church. Do you know why there's team leaders? It's because I drew people together and I said, I can't manage everyone in every area of the church. So you're going to have to be a team leader responsible for your area. I want to give you that duty to do this and I want to give you the responsibility to do that. So when someone is leading that area, they're leading on a representation of my leadership. They're not leading on their own. They're leading because I've pulled them in a room together and we've had our meetings to say, I want to give you this duty because I can't carry everything on my own. So therefore, we pray, we believe that you can do this and I want you to go and do it. So therefore, accountability comes from your team leaders. Those who are in in areas. We've got to believe and understand this because if we don't, if we try to be on our own, you are not going to get very far at all. Respect. Our leadership. Because it's the key for us to move forward. But listen to this. What's really interesting. And this is the key. When Nehemiah says. When you hear the trumpet. Come together. Get together. And understand the, my, my leadership. But listen what his next sentence is. Which is the key. He says join us there. But he says this. Our God will fight for us. Because Nehemiah understood that he was accountable to God. So he says, come and join me. But actually, I understand that I am not the true, I am not the overall leader. The chief cornerstone in all this is Jesus Christ. He is the one building his church. But he understood that he says, come together, understand, I really feel you need to get together, guys. Understand, listen to the trumpet. But when you come together, we're going to now look to God. Because he is the overall leader. Okay? So there's a, there's a respect that Nehemiah has for accountability to God as well. Submission is required for this church to grow. Submission to that leadership. I mentioned it last week. Next, next week we're going to be bringing, uh, there's going to be some application forms for membership to the church. In the vision day we're going to be looking at that uh, for you to become members if you want to be part of this vision. If you feel you are already, then you can speak to the, the admin team about that. But we're going to be doing that next week. We've got some new application forms for you to be an official member to be part of the church. And I want to encourage you to be submissive into that vision to see the church grow. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and join us. We're going to worship God in just a moment. But just to kind of wrap this up as they, as they come and join us. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account. 
There it is, the accountability to God. I'll read that again. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for what would be, that would be of no advantage to you. We've got to be submissive to leaders. We've got to be submissive to the leadership visions of this church. Because by doing so, you've got to understand that when we do, if, if people uh, are against it, they don't want to come under accountability, they're against leadership. If that happens, then there is no joy. There are certain churches in the world today that are decompossessed. You know, there's problems where there's no leadership. People are just running the church and they're just, their view is that there's no joy in it. I believe we've got it here. I believe we've got joy in our place. I believe there's joy in our leadership. I love gathering with my guys. I respect them. We've got a meeting tomorrow. We're going to have a great time. Agenda lists are always long, but I love to meet them. Do you know why? Because I believe always, we always, as we, we have fun together, we pray together. We believe that God is doing something amazing. And I really love to be with them. So there is that. But I want you to believe in us. Believe in us that we can do what we say we can do. If you don't, if you're not willing to fulfill some of these, these things that are required, maybe you're saying, I'm not even going to be part of the church. I don't, I'm not interested in being part of it. Well, that's fine. But I would encourage you to go and be rooted somewhere else. Be rooted where you can find your place. I always say that. I'm not worried about whether people say, I'm, I'm going. If you cannot be rooted into the vision of the church, then it's best for you to find somewhere where you can. Simple as that. God will build his church here without me. It's not about me. No one's special, remember. And I want to encourage you today. There are people here with some amazing, amazing talents and gifts that you're probably saying, I am a perfume maker, I'm a goldsmith, I can do this, if you can only see. And we do want, I want to hear your heart. I want to hear what people can do. That's why you come to me and say, can I have a coffee with you, Phil? Yes, you can. Come and meet me, we'll have a coffee. You tell me what's on your heart. You tell me what you see you, yourself doing. Because there's something wrong if I can't observe these things. But listen, be prepared to be adaptive. Be prepared to pick up the trowel and do something else first. If you can't do that, then don't have a coffee with me. That's all I'm asking. Because I believe that God will put you in the position. He will. Because I believe he will not leave gifts in this room stagnant. He will not leave you in your position if you've got some amazing gifts to bring. But he's looking for the heart first to serve. Amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.